0: My name is Janis. I am from a smaller town north of Hanover. I uh, studied at WHU, class of uh, 2014. Um, Had a couple of cool experiences afterwards and ended up um, becoming an entrepreneur, um, mostly with my company Homes. We started in 2016, raised a bunch of capital, are now 40 something people. And basically what we want to do is, we want to create a a digital ecosystem that kind of connects all stakeholders in the real estate industry, right? Starting with the landlord, because that's the ultimate decision maker, but but eventually um, having them interact with all other stakeholders, and may those be tenants, banks, insurance companies, because we believe that people will still live in homes for the next 50 to 100 years, um, as long as they're bound to physical bodies. Um, And so actually, changing how people interact with, with their homes, which basically hasn't changed for the last 150 years, and, and basically building this operating system beneath everything that comes with like home ownership, being at home, is something that we can identify a lot with. So that's basically what we do and have been doing for the last two, three years.
1: This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode, we introduce Janis Fischer, WHU alum and founder CEO of Zen Homes. comprehensive software platform for private landlords and property managers. We're talking about Giannis's amazing journey from Vehau to small business owner, rocket internet director to solo entrepreneur, as well as his deep commitments to problem solving and self-directed learning that helped pave his path to success. So for you listeners out there who are interested in a young founder's unique road to high growth entrepreneurship, you'll love this episode. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany. This is the Best and Most Awesome Founder Podcast, a show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Well, Janus Fischer, thank you so much for inviting me to your lovely offices here in Berlin. I'm Really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, I believe we met briefly about a year ago and meeting you and a bunch of the other inspiring Vejau alumni founders is, uh, you guys were really the catalyst that made me decide to come to this university. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, I'd like to start kind of the same way I start with... All of the founders that I have as guests on this podcast mm-hmm. and um, I'd really like to hear because I think everyone comes from a different path but a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and mm-hmm. how you got from you know being a, a young person in a in a small town in Germany to being a successful entrepreneur here in Berlin
0: mm-hmm. okay cool um, so I come from a small village um, north of Hanover, 20,000 people living there. Well, not that small. Not not as small, small as Farlander, at least. <laughs> uh, so so I, I decided on pretty early to, to go to WHU. I think it was like 16 or something. Or like um, at least decided to study business and looked in the ranking and kind of saw WHU on top. So I figured out that, that that's kind of a cool place to go. And um, actually, I think like my personal entrepreneurial journey is pretty closely linked to my experience as a student, right? So, so I got started, um, was kind of a bit overwhelmed at the beginning, um, was like all the initiatives you can do and, and all the things and like, kind of want to figure out like first what to do and then like the first half you went by and um, and so I kind of ultimately decided that I liked to do the, the confluenza stuff, the, the student consultancy, right? But like being in second semester, um, well, we were much too young for, for most cool stuff there, right? So, um, uh, I had a friend who happened to grow up in Farunda, and um, so he knew the local market, so like I think it was one, two months into the first semester where um, we were studying for some course, and as it is, you like start procrastinating, and like I was like, okay, I have to go buy light bulbs somewhere, right, and he's like, why would you like now go try buy a light bulbs somewhere? like, you can just go down the street. And I'm like, wait, they sell that here in Farlander? And I'm like, he's like, yeah, sure they do. And I'm like, so we kind of were talking. And like, like, out of this, the idea emerged that we should do like a voucher booklet for students um, uh, because people don't know actually what they can buy in Farlander or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. So we went around, sold this to a couple of stores, like sold the design to them um, and, and, and being part of this booklet that then handed out to the Kwechis uh, the next summer, right? So this got us to know like all those, um, uh, little stores in Farlander and then because we were too young to do really like consultancy for um we um, basically said, okay, like, hey, we can consult like those little companies here like build websites for them and Facebook pages and kind of stuff like that and at Sunday we, we come across this like uh, dry cleaning company um, That basically was not doing very well. So we took a bit of the money that that we had made around town and um, basically bought this dry cleaning company mm-hmm. And kind of like did, did a bit of a pivot there and, and like build it up and sold it at the end of the studies um, and but this was kind of impactful for me and other stuff i rented out parking lots uh, to students and, and all kinds of things so I, I i guess i always had a bit of this like entrepreneurial um, thing i don't know what you want to call that in me but um ultimately the driving thing was important because um a couple years in later um rocket internet started zipjet this online mm-hmm. cleaning company and I know there is this like favorite commencement speech of, of Steve Jobs who says like you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? And, and this is kind of like a very good example of that, like I would not have done a dry cleaning company, I probably wouldn't have started working for Rocket later on who then launched Zipjet, an online dry cleaning company in, in, in Germany. So this was kind of the ultimate uh, pathway for me into the, the entrepreneurial domain, worked for Rocket for a while. Um, had other experiences, other companies, and uh, ultimately then started my own company.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Wow. Wow. So you were kind of hustling from the beginning. Did, was there something that was a catalyst that made you decide, I want to be an entrepreneur? Because I think there's many, many people go through WHO and are thinking, I'm going to go into management consulting, or maybe I will go work for a large company. Um, you were looking even at the local level already for unique opportunities and solving pain points that even students have. Is that something that was in your DNA or your parents entrepreneurs? What kind of got you down that road in the first place?
0: Well, um, well, I think it's a mixture of things. Um, my, my dad is an entrepreneur in a way. He, he's a doctor. So he's independent in that sense. Um, so, but I think for me, what I like about entrepreneurship is like the way it treats the world, you know, like, like I think if I wouldn't have studied business, I probably would have studied physics. And, and like, also like, you know, like we, we do this personality test here, right? like, like, so when we have new employees, we do this personality test. And like, I'm like an INTJ personality, right? So like, it's yeah. called the architect. So like, you know, that kind of type, right? Yeah. So, so I like to like, break the world down in rules. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, what I find most interesting is that you can take these like rules, that you find to be true in the real world, to kind of engineer and shape it, right? Um, and I think like looking backwards, this is something that I probably always had, right? So like, what I found interesting is like, okay, well, there's a dry cleaning company, all those students are wearing shirts and they're never properly ironed because no one knows how to iron. Well, if I have a dry cleaning company, I can just tell the students to go there, right? Similar was parking lots, you know, like everyone needs to have like cars and in Finland for whatever reason. And I mean, I had as well, because like you drive home, right? And um, and not enough parking lots so if you rent a big parking lot and then separate it and rent it out again um, uh, th- that's a good business to be in Yeah. so so um i i just found like seeing an opportunity understanding how it works and just doing it and um not so much for like the, the business purpose itself like renting out parking lots or dry cleaning company is probably not the the most profitable best business but what i found compelling is that you kind of like see an opportunity, you understand the underlying mm-hmm. metrics, and, and then do that, right? Mm-hmm. And like if this, for instance, when, when you look at our company nowadays, and at Zen Homes, with our our, our platform, Femilia.de, um, what I found most interesting, or I still find most interesting, is like how complex the underlying parts are, how they interact with each other, and how can we can shape something, like create something big, by shaping a lot of small things together, right? Mm-hmm. right. I think it's more that, that entrepreneur, like to answer your question properly, I think it's more my personality mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship gives me the best possibility to, to do what I love and that's like finding out rules and then like building something that uses these rules to, to shape something.
1: Right. I say that a lot too because I can't paint, I'm a pretty crappy <laughs> musician, but it, it's the same thing. It's taking a language and a set of rules and using that as an outlet of creativity and problem solving. And, you know, some people do it with, uh, the creative arts and some people do it with scalable ventures. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting is you and I have a similar path when I was younger too, I was always kind of had some hustle going on as I like to call it. I don't know if I could always call them businesses, but yeah. there were always ways to solve some small problems and, and generate a little money along the way and learn most importantly, but I found my biggest leap was going from small businesses to a scalable, and in my case, venture-backed mm-hmm. enterprise, particularly in the technology space. Can you share a little bit about that leap for you? Because you went from, you went from some small businesses that you were doing locally, and then you took a pretty significant jump, and
0: absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think I got very, very lucky that then when I was at Rocket Internet, that the Summer Brothers themselves were managing Food Panda, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I got into position at a very young age to to be uh, leading, like in total, a couple hundred people probably there in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and like understanding that, for instance, like like scale and, and scalable processes. Um, are much more um, important at that stage. And I think what helped me a lot that even um, with a dry cleaning company or the things I did, I always were working with people that are older, right? And I think that is very um, helpful because you get to the point and it's something I had to learn um, that you need to get a bit humble sometimes and you can only lead by, um, well, like having the right solution or appreciating that someone else has it, right? So, so you cannot, like like leading by hierarchy as a young person probably is a very stupid thing to do. I learned that there. And um, I think that still helps me today, right? And and so, and that's universally applicable. Like if you have a small company, if you have a big company, if you are a venture-backed company, um, like I like to think of it that that some things are true and other things are not true. And it doesn't really depend who found it and who says it. And, and as a good founder, you kind of like, appreciate that yeah and and then in venture-backed environment it's the same thing it's just like a different set of rules you need to optimize for because it's probably growth of profitability and it's market share or or, or, or unit economics or whatever right like it's like after um, um, rocket i I had the the luck to work for for the guys of cherry ventures for for a couple months so so also like having the, the the venture eye on things before rocket i was with the PE fund, so like, like, like always having this investor side of view and having an entrepreneur side of view, but then again, it's like different like, views on always the same thing. And ultimately it depends what you kind of do with the people and the resources you've got, right? Um, but coming back to what we first said, and then it's just another set of rules that need to be, need to be worked on um, and you kind of need to appreciate that it's different sets, but
1: yeah. I think there's a great lesson in here. Do you feel like the mechanics of building a small business like a, like a dry cleaning business, are translatable into building something for scale? In parts,
0: in parts. Mm-hmm. In parts. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, and like you kind of mentioned this earlier, you kind of like do 2,000 things, right? And you kind of have to be a journalist. And, and so if you do a small company, chances are very high that you um, do a lot of different things, which also makes you appreciate more later on if other people do those things for you right and i think that's something when you come from a, from a corporate environment and you maybe didn't have to do certain things because there was always a secretary or, or someone like that right or someone always did the marketing that, and you don't know what like, like how it works at all um that always puts in a position where you need to kind of like trust others and i think then again coming from a small business where you kind of did everything yourself the biggest challenge is to kind of let go at some point and appreciate that with probably most things, there's other people that are much more knowledgeable, that do it much better than you do. And your kind of only job is to get all of them at one table and like collaborate, right? I think that's the challenge, but like having done everything yourself and appreciating that and and like understanding that a small business kind of has to make money and not scale, or it can scale if it doesn't make money, it's all valuable lessons. Do you need it? Not sure. Can it help? Definitely. For
1: sure. For sure. I wanna to touch on something that I heard you say in part of your storytelling, where you were kind of one of the young people in the group. I just had a great conversation with Jag Singh at Techstars. Um, Techstars being one of the first accelerators in the world, being their strongest focus is being mentorship driven. Did you have people along the way, mentors, advisors, that really kind of helped you through that journey? Um, being a young person or you know, were you, Some people just dive in and say, fuck it, I'm gonna figure it out as I go. Other people lean on the people around them. They can both be successful strategies, but they work differently. You being so young, I'm curious to hear how you kind of learn some of your skills that brought you where you are.
0: I I think it's, um, in my case, a lot of trial and error Mm -hmm. and a lot of reading. Like I think people heavily underestimate the power of books like I think Bill Gates Ray Dalio all these guys would be great mentors But of course a normal person you don't have access to them right? But they do write books and they willingly share that knowledge and of course talking to a person a real mentor is better in a way that they can like cater everything towards your situation, right? Mm-hmm. um but then again, especially in an entrepreneurial environment, like situations vary so much and just because something, especially with those fast moving technologies that we work with, like just because something was true three, four years ago, it's not necessarily true now, right? Um, so, um, but by reading books, you kind of like have this knowledge condensed for a certain point of time. Um, and then you can apply what, what really, like if relevant in your case and like leave the rest alone, right? And um, so for instance, uh, principles, uh, mm-hmm. Book of Redelio, like everyone that starts at our company gets it as a present. Um, and um, so, like, one of the things that you have to find what's true for yourself and, and understand the truth in the world. I think that's something that I very much believe in. Mentors can help with that, books can help with that. And then, well, learning from failures is, is uh, I
1: think, the best recipe you got. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the lessons that you never forget, right? Yeah, for sure. One of my, I think, biggest failures was learning some of the pain points of raising capital. Um, Because when I was raising my first money for my first back business, I had only bootstrap businesses my entire life. What I learned over time was if you make some mistakes in that realm, they can be pain points that you feel for very, very long periods of time. You had a little bit of a segue into that, that you had some VC experience and whatnot. So when you started moving into a venture-backed business, did you feel that those skill sets adequately prepared you? Or maybe you could share a little bit of your journey going from small businesses to capitalization.
0: I think that... Um, well, wow, there's too so much I think about that right so, no, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so me, I, I, I do think that it's very important... For a founder to appreciate that investors work and think differently, yeah, and that um, there's like like a couple things that come with that, right? As an investor, I have to look at a lot of things, right? And so that means as a founder, I kind of have to appreciate the fact that the investor will probably not understand, like, really understand what you're doing in a certain amount of time, right? And that they um, in order to get the kind of best deals they have to look at a lot of stuff and like they kind of like bet on the right ones That means they can be wrong with their bets for sure And it also means it's your job to kind of like explain in a very comprehensible way like why what you're doing is really the right thing and this one is something I learned the hard way because like I kind of knew that investors were looking at certain stuff but that you also need to explain it in a way that they can understand it in a short amount of time. And like, especially what we do right now is quite complex. It's not complicated, but complex. Lots of moving parts. Um, different stakeholders. Um, just explaining uh, to someone what's the difference between a property manager, facility manager, asset manager. Like, like what you kind of need to understand to, to understand what we do here. Um, that's something that that I learned the hard way, basically. And, and I think it needs to be appreciated that it's your job as a founder, when you pitch to investors, to kind of like tell them how your industry works mm-hmm. and, and why what you're doing now has changed industry and that they just need to cross-check that afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I think what what is a mistake if you think that they know or should know everything about the market. This is, for instance, a mistake I do and I constantly do this also when talking to partners, when talking to, to employees here, that I constantly forget that people have different sets of knowledge. And it's usually good to take a step back and repeat something, mm-hmm. instead of um, just assuming everyone knows. Right. That's just one of the things, probably right. a couple other but like that, that comes to my mind, like first thing.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, not everyone speaks the same language, and I think in the same breath, not everyone's objectives are aligned. Absolutely not. And I yeah. think making sure you're finding investors and deals that are, are very well aligned. Sometimes you might find that they're misaligned. I was just having a conversation about um, liquidation preferences and how if you mess that thing up, you could... Find as your business grows or if it stalls a little bit, you are no longer in a position of control
0: Mm -hmm. And and this is why I believe it's great for for a founder to have at least a couple of business angels that Mm -hmm. are seasoned entrepreneurs Because even if you read up on liquid preps in a book To have the guts to kind of stand up and say like no, I'm not gonna take a a double triple liquid prep or some sort you might not appreciate how much it hurts in the long run, right? And for this to also have like a business angel on your side for the first whatever, like C, A round, it's like, you, you, you don't, you just don't wanna go there, right? Um, that, that's I think helpful to kind of have like this, this human support That's why well. I would encourage um, if it's for the first time to really take, not too many, but a couple business angels that have been there that can just like clap on their shoulder and be like, good job fundraising now don't take that mm-hmm.
1: it's uh, it's not good no. right right i'd like to hear a little bit about fermitit.de and zenhomes i guess the mm-hmm. the parent company or the the overarching brand and how you went from the small businesses, you did, you did Rocket and Food Panda in Asia for a while, and then you came into the property space. Can you talk a little bit about, tell us a little bit about the business and how you got into this seemingly different domain than you were in before?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so I basically, the first week that I started WHU, I started noting down business ideas, like venture ideas, like uh, we were like I with friends some like there's some really I still have the list today and there' were, like some really weird ideas on there um, but some good ones and like over the time I also saw some of them being turned into successful ventures yeah and it's um quite interesting like because I started in the first semester and when I like really got um, into entrepreneurship my, myself like for, for venture based business was a couple years later to kind of have this like validation that some of those ideas had been done by others and they were successful Um so, at some point, when I decided to start my own company, I did it uh, in a very much a uh, way. Yeah? So, I, I created this huge list of, of 300 ideas that I had and I started benchmarking and rating them. Yeah? Like, so, like um, uh, market size, um, scalability, um, like does it fit my skill set? How much is the competition? How much funding is needed? I, I had a scoring system and I narrowed it down to 10 15 mm-hmm. ideas and, um, in, in a very analytical way. And it was a good exercise and it was basically what i had to learn on the, on the investor side of course right ultimately i ended up doing something that wasn't on the list um which is zen homes and that's primarily um because i had then this idea um, of, of building something in the property space because i needed it myself right so, so i have a very close, rela- close relationship with my grandparents mm-hmm. and they have a couple of apartments in hanover right and so Well, after you you kind of move out you you kind of want to give something back still you cannot really mow the lawn so what do you do you kind of look after those those properties right and how do you do that you get those like five paper folders like uh, like lights folders and and then an excel file and you kind of like do it that way right and then it happens the apartments are in hanover da. i was in hong kong i was in berlin munich uh, like never there and always like trying to remotely manager's apartment and and that got me thinking Yeah and um, so um, at some point when i was in 2016 when i was working on this huge list of um, uh, ideas i had to do the uh, utility cost calculations for those apartments um, mm. so opening the excel file doing that and like seeing so those two excel files open the, the idea list and the utility cost calculation like being pissed that i have to do the calculations now instead of working on my ideas and am like what, what, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe there, there is something to it. Yeah, And then, then I got into the idea and I understand the market better. And then ultimately what kicked, kicked it off is when I found out that the, the amount of people that own private apartments, like like private landlords that, that own apartments that rented it out, it's, it's like a lot. It's like 4 million people that own, I think 12 to 14 million apartments, depending on who you ask. So like the, the majority of rented out apartments in Germany, is owned by by private landlords right Mm -hmm. and it's like like well if my grandparents have me manage those and i will take them over at some point then this probably applies to to all my friends and and all people in their 20s and that means if people use number 26 and clark then they will use our solution for their properties Mm -hmm. and by that way you can basically aggregate like like all apartment owners like in this space onto one platform and become the biggest landlord in the world because a management system is something you always use and you always have the data and you always understand what's going on and this is kind of what like i'm like wow that, that could be huge if you connect it with and, like, like use the full potential of that and and it's also something that i understand <laughs> so, so that's a good start so that's that's basically what i got started and then i, I hired a designer to do the first mock-up mm-hmm. and then i hired two, two interns and, and we built the first MVP and tested that and um, went very much hypothesis based. We said, like, okay, like, does it scale if we want our marketing? So we just built the first funnels, tested that, then had the CSCs and the conversions that worked. Then we built the first uh, platform, saw people interacted also with the platform and had a retention and came back to it. and also worked. And then we said, okay, like, this is a good thing, raised raise some capital, and then basically built the company out of that.
1: Wow. I love that story because I, there's a lesson in there that I try to tell young founders all the time, which is they, people tend to be so focused on ideas, and I've got a list that's 10 years old that's been added to and scratched off more times than I can imagine at this point, Um, because you get these ideas and you want to explore them and analyze them and whatnot, but in the end, the business that you push forward wasn't one that was necessarily an idea, but it was one that was a problem. Yeah. And you know, starting with the problem is, provides so much value when you start looking at ideas because it opens, it opens it up wider for more solutions and more opportunities to come in there. Which brings me to a, I think a really important point and a conversation I recently had. Um, we as entrepreneurs spend a lot of time talking about product market fit. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a core tenant of what we do and I think what's often missed is the idea of Founder market fit. Mm -hmm. Are you the right person to actually build this business? It could be a damn good idea But if you're not the right guy a someone doesn't want to invest in you B, you're gonna have more opportunities for failure did you find that you felt that problem firsthand did that better prepare you to build the business since you had already been kind of helping your grandparents?
0: It certainly helped me in getting the first version right mm-hmm. because I was a customer myself. And it helps me to this day when it comes to propositions that, that, that I'm still part of, um, that I'm still a customer but also it is a huge disadvantage at some point because as I mentioned earlier, you kind of have to let go, right? And an organization naturally has a tendency to do what the founder says, and it might not necessarily be the right thing. And if you are, like we see this with our customers and like I'm a customer, right? So I might have certain issues that um, I would like to get solved by this product, Mm. right? But that is not necessarily what, what all our customers need and what's the best decision really is right so i, I think a very important thing for us like one year into the game was like really also separating what we do by asking our customers instead of um asking me yeah um, but i think it gives you a great head start because like, of course we also I also interviewed other landlords in the beginning yeah but as it always, the problem is like qualitative research, you can only talk to so many people, it's like maybe five, 10 people, mm-hmm. and it's always a bit biased. It, it might have been the wrong five to 10 people, yeah? And, and you don't have enough customers to do quantitative research, mm-hmm. right? To, so to, to be a customer yourself is great because you can talk to yourself 24 hours and, and like, you can like, again and again talk about all those nitty-gritty details of the first versions of the product, which you just don't have access to customer-wise, Yeah, yeah
1: right. I don't know if you saw my my eyes light up right there, but you said something that just exploded in my brain a little bit, which is, you know, if you do the the pitfalls of being your own customer is, you know, you have your ideas of what the pain points are. And but in the end, you're just an N of one sample. Right. And a business isn't trying to solve an N of one. It's trying to to maximize utility. So you, if I understand correctly, you kind of had to address that through your management style and make sure that you were making sure the organization ran in such a way that it wasn't trying to solve your problem, but it was trying and, to. And I,
0: I had to learn that. Yeah, and, and we have a great CPO and and Georg and, and he constantly told me, well, that that's maybe your opinion, but w- well, we have thousands of customers, and they might think differently. Yeah, and then. I think what's a great thing that's being taught at WHU that you also learn maybe in like management consultant banking and at Rocket, it's like numbers driven decision making. And ultimately, product and product roadmap should not be based on someone's personal opinion, but numbers based and research based. And, research-based. and um, um, I think like we have user researchers working here and it's like it, 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 tremendously important to ask and constantly ask people what they think. And, and it's just in the first maybe half year or even year that, that when you don't have the financial means to employ user researcher, um, um where, where you don't have that many customers, that it's great that, that your own opinion is, is, is helping you and steer the product.
1: Well, that's an interesting point, which is when you're, and we talked about this offline a little bit, that when you're in those early stages as a founder, you're wearing so many hats. You know, you're jumping from capitalization to product, to building a team, to engaging the market, to finance, and and back and forth again. Did you find that there was a point where you decided you needed to let go of certain operations, or did that kind of come naturally as you started to scale? Is it deliberate or more accidental?
0: Well, I, so first of all, when I started the company, like in the beginning, I said I wanted to be the only business guy doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Because like i think that there is a lot of great companies that have a lot of like business people in there but they are not really mutually exclusive in their type of talent so something that i'm testing here so to speak that that um, dimitri who's doing tech and and dominic who's doing marketing and care who's doing product and i'm who's doing the the business part so far like, like we have very different types of personalities very different types of backgrounds um very different types of people right and like you Maybe this is something that that comes with like me at some point realizing that you should get people that are significantly better at stuff than you are um, that, that I wanted to build this kind of circle of 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 people that in in their domain, know better than I do, right? And like I'm still not done there. yet. like we're looking for a CEO, we're looking for a VP people culture because like I'm still wearing too many hats. and I think it shouldn't be that way. I think it should be that for each core topic of the company, um there should be someone that that, is trying to achieve mastery in that specific topic and then you put um, all those different opinions on the table and, and basically discuss until you have a common agreement on what the best way to go is. Yeah. And I think for that, it's really important to separate um, between like being the, the CEO or being the founder and, and being neutral in your decision-making and, and wearing ahead. And it's a transitional process. And I believe that as soon as you get it done, um, the better it is mm-hmm. you can do that with with like great co-founders however then they need to be like talent wise personality wise like very much different from you which the chance that you friends then is, 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 is limited yeah so I think that that's a tricky thing and I like I, I don't know um, I think if you have great friends that you want to start a company with at that point of time and you share the same idea and share the same vision just go for it it's great um, if you're not in that situation, like I personally believe having a creative group of people with very different skill sets is the best way to build a company, then again, I don't know, we're trying it out.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting point, you know, I have founded companies with friends, where we kind of nurtured ideas together, but we had very similar skill sets, and in the end that can create tensions, you know, where someone has to take a certain role. Someone maybe ends up taking a back seat, and the one that takes a back seat slowly starts can roll towards irrelevance. In that mm, case, when mm. you have those, how how was it for you as a founder or a founding team? Did you, if I understood correctly, you kind of had this idea and you started just putting pieces together. Did you? You didn't have a technical skill set on your team at first. Were you a sole entrepreneur? And how I, did, I you yes. yeah. did you? I started becoming Yes. Did you? Is that something you would recommend or would i mean obviously it's worked all right for you but I, i'm
0: i think it depends it depends very much um on the circumstances it depends on of course like different personalities work differently um and for me like like building this company it's like it's, it's a journey on its own like in discovering how i best work with people um and i think this is like something you don't know when you start out you don't know like how you best work with people like it is at least if you start very young. Um, but but next to the, the personal fit is, is I think important like the situation. Like if you have a great idea you shouldn't wait for co-founders. If you have great co-founders well then you should just look for a great idea. I think it's just like most important thing is just get started right and like co-founder optimization so to speak shouldn't stop you from getting started. I think that, that's just the most important thing.
1: Right, absolutely <laughs> I'm interested in one piece which is you know here you are building small businesses you're in fallender you go to you go to um, Asia for a while you've connected with rocket now you're in Berlin can you tell me a little bit like was that a deliberate choice are there particular resources that brought you here or
0: um, well, like um, for one reason it was personal choice mm-hmm. um, but next to that I, it also made sense business-wise mm-hmm. it was a very deliberate choice for me to come back from hong kong because i said well next to like family friends etc being here um like my network is here and i think uh, we spoke about this offline as well like whu has a great founders network and i mean like if you get started like like getting access to to those people that have been doing this that have Maybe the capital that, that you need in the beginning um, that then can connect it to the, to, the, to the funds that you need later. I think that's a tremendous opportunity that comes with like, for the WSU network, for instance. And, and you can only leverage that if you're in Germany. Mm-hmm. And then you can, I, I personally, still believe leverage it best when you're in Berlin. Mm-hmm. The one thing, the other thing is that like, at least for us, building a technology company means like the majority of our personnel is, is in tech and product. And, and uh, as we're getting, and we also spoke about this offline, like towards the end of the cycle, and like, like everyone is doing something in technology right now, and like developers are in high demand. Like eighty to ninety percent of our staff is, is international, like from Armenia, Nigeria, uh, Ukraine, you name it, right? And like of course, Berlin uh, is I st- like I still believe the best point to get started. I-, I was just on the phone uh, with with the candidate earlier, and his wife is uh, he's German, but his wife is Argentinian. And, and he says he wants, he's now in Hamburg and he wants to move back to Berlin uh, because like being international and like here in Berlin is just easier because you have the better infrastructure for it. And everyone speaks English and, and you have the kindergartens and, and you name it, right? right. Um, so I think to attract international talent, if you need that for your type of business, which is likely if you build a technology company, mm-hmm. Berlin is a good place to be also to get started. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I still believe that, yeah.
1: So talking about internationalization, um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the future of FermiTit and Zen Homes? Are you kind of where you guys are now and Mm -hmm. what you, what's on the roadmap in the future?
0: Well, well, so, so, um, we have become market leaders with um, Vermietit DA. Mm -hmm. So, So in the domain of like, private landlords, we have, I think, 80,000, 90,000 users now, almost 240,000 units being managed with that user platform, we, we grow quite steeply, so so in that domain, we are pretty well positioned for now, right? But um, if, if you take one step back and, and and look at the bigger picture, we just got started, right? Because ultimately, um, we have so many stakeholders that move in this market, mm-hmm. and um, if you think about it, like, like what is... Happening is that you, for instance, have a real estate agent that's trying to rent out your apartment, right? And what do they need? They need a certain data set, right? They need to know how many floors does it have, when was it built, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? But the same data set, um, for instance, the bank needs to to tell you how much financing you get, and the same data, the insurance company needs to actually sell insurance to you, right? Um, so what we want to ultimately build is this basically this product, uh, and that's not for me today. For me today is just the access to this specific target group which is a do-it-yourself landlord like to say five to like 30 units and they manage everything themselves right it was the best way to get started because it's like a complete blue ocean market and as i mentioned earlier the biggest market yeah but um, um, and, and we did very well on that but it's just a start because ultimately you want to get every property owner into one ecosystem where you as a company ensure that the underlying, the underlying data is always correct and up-to-date mm-hmm. And I think this, like, always up-to-date data set is, is basically the innovation in our business, right? Like, like if you think, I always take this analogy of the, the smartphone towards the, the traditional phone, right? Like, what is it? The, even the traditional mobile phone, right? Like, like it was crappy in the beginning uh, in terms of, like, reception and, and usability, but you had the ability to put apps in there, right? That was a one trade that actually differentiated the phone from uh, the, the smartphone from, from the, the, the mobile phone. Mm-hmm. For us, if you think about our technology right now, like yes, you can check rents being paid, you can do utility cost calculations, you can like work with your handyman, you can do um, you rent out the apartment. We still have a long way to go to make all of that perfect, right? But but our technology, our product has one unique trait that nothing else has, and that is that's always there, right? Like I manage my apartment every given time like i know at every given time who lives in there how much rent they pay how much it's financed etc right and so now we're at the step of like building the rest of the ecosystem around it right, right. giving tenants access to the inventory we've built up there So that you can rent the apartment so you can pay the rent through the platform um, connecting those owners that the using system to maybe sell the apartment to each other right because like i've been actually maintaining the data set for a couple of years and we can verify that everything is correct because you have mm-hmm. a bank account behind, right? So we know exactly, has this tenant paid the rent on time? And mm-hmm. uh, did you repair something or not, right? So if I want to buy the department, I have a verified data set right. and it makes sense to access through that ecosystem. And so that's why we believe what we built here can change the world in terms of like how people live and work with it because it, it hasn't been there. Like every, there's lots of pieces and Immobilian scout and, mm-hmm. and real estate agent companies, but they always take a data set Use it once and then it's not up to date anymore. Right. And I think this is an innovation that we, we came up with. And, and now that we have built the, the first pillar was it landlord inventory, it's time to build the, the network around it. And, and that's where we're going in the next
1: couple of years. You know, I, I love that approach. And I think it's something I tell founders all the time is it's the classic adage of do one thing well, and the other opportunities will start coming in. The dots that you can connect that maybe you couldn't even see in day one could be the most valuable.
0: As Peter Thiel says, uh, find a niche and expand from there. And I very much
1: believe in that. Indeed. Um, I know we're a little pressed for time. I want to ask you one more question, just because of our audience. And I think you're such a a great and classic founder story from VHU. Do you have any um, maybe insights or recommendations, imagining some VHU students are thinking about um, founding a business one day. Do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe (laughs) just pick one or two then, you know, I'm sure there's lots.
0: To be honest, um, I think what, what I could recommend like some of the things that I did right. Um, but I think I would rather like to recommend that I did not Mm right, which is like, for instance, I did not read out enough on certain things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Maybe it wasn't because I wasn't interested enough or so, but there is like a couple books, Y Combinator videos. Um, There's just some stuff that can help you avoid mistakes. Um, I think probably the people listening to this podcast are already in that kind of, so maybe not the best piece of advice, but but reading like Peter Thiel 0 uh, to 1, reading the hard things about hard things. uh, reading start with why, like those. Mm-hmm. There's a couple books that of people that really have been there, mm-hmm. and that really did that. And and Bill Gates to this day is like like I just watched the documentary. By the way, watch mm-hmm. watch the documentary. It's great, right? And so, so, so he still reads. I don't know how many books a day. Right? right. So like we are now in terms of of internet and mobile technology towards the end of quite a long cycle. Mm-hmm. So so it is much more difficult to start a great company than it was maybe five, ten years ago, right? But it also comes with a plus, because there has been people around, the amount of experience gained in this kind of cycle is much bigger than it was five to ten years ago. So I think in order to be successful, one needs to leverage that, right? And, and just like read up and, and, and basically get experienced benefit from what others have been doing already. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to get started, especially when still at studying and you maybe cannot do so much yet because you need at least the bachelor's to kind mm-hmm. of move on.
1: Right, right. Um, man, there's so many other questions I could ask you. I know, uh, but kind of wrap things up. There's a couple questions, give a little insight into Giannis, the person, not just the entrepreneur. I ask everyone, most people hate it, but <laughs> you're gonna get it too. Um, the first one, and you've already shared some of your your favorites. You've actually listed probably half of my top shelf of my bookshelf. So we, it, yeah. we're reading a lot of the same books. But what are you reading right now? What's on your What's on your bedside table? Um, right now, I'm reading uh, Wild Ride. It's, it's a book about
0: Uber, and it's quite interesting uh. because it was written in mid 2017, uh. and I think reading it now is actually much more interesting because in hindsight how things might have looked in 2017 look very much different right now. So so I think that also needs to be appreciated. Like, who wrote the book and when? Uh, and it's a lot about also Travis Kalanicki and, and I think, like, a lot of things that happened to him now happened again with Adam Newman and WeWork. Uh, and it, like, also tells us, uh, I think, uh, maybe a cautionary tale about, like, how founders should be and could be. I don't know. That's why I'm reading it. And um, so, so that's what I'm reading right now.
1: That, that's an interesting business in terms of regulatory environments too, which I'm sure there's some lessons yeah. learned for you as for well sure. in that space sure. so that's cool the other one is being we're in berlin one of the music capitals of europe what's on your what's on your playlist
0: oh, oh like I, i'm like one of those people that have like playlists for every kind of like setting right <sighs> so like i listen like to a lot of techno i listen to classical music i uh, like, like really depends like what i'm doing like is it for work is on my way to work is it partying mm-hmm. like so like I'm, I'm not really like that kind of like like concert kind of guy like I love that musician like I for me it's like being in red mood Mm -hmm. right so it's like I have like playlists and then I pick that on top of that
1: yeah I've I've recently taken back to classical music to to get work done you know setting the brain and that the space that you needed in which to operate but for me mostly it has to
0: be about extremes right so Mm -hmm. like um i have a spotify playlist called called the war mode yeah and, <laughs> and I like a couple of of, of uh WSU guys also like listening to that like okay. i put like some techno stuff on that and then i have my, my classical music list and like it's kind of like a bit monotonous mm-hmm. you know to, to kind of like do something else like i don't i don't listen to music for music sake like it's always some like, uh, background kind of thing
1: yeah cool Awesome. Man, Yanis, I could uh, I could have this conversation forever. I yeah. think there's uh, a lot more to unpack. Maybe we'll get a chance to do it again. But I just want to thank you for inviting me to your lovely office and taking time out of your busy day to, you. to meet with us. So thank you very much. Cool. Thank, cool. thank you. Cool. Cheers. Awesome. Well, folks, that was Yanis Fisher, founder and CEO of Zen Homes. If you're interested in learning more about Yanis' work, check out his company's website at zenhomes.com. That's Z-E-N-H-O-M-E-S dot com. Coming soon in episode 13, we'll speak with another VEHAU alum, Martin Heibel. His story of growing multiple successful ventures, including his current company, Ciara, is an awesome one. Bis nächstes Mal!